In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Gordon Udall, Director of Marketing and Product Development at Amphenol Alden in Brockton, Massachusetts. Gordon has been with Alden for over 20 years, and we talk about the importance of setting his team up to be an extension of their customer's design engineering team. We talk about the aesthetics of new product design in the medical industry and how the product's comforting appeal is so vital. We talk about always remembering that the products they make can potentially save a loved one's life. We talk about his love of sailing and how it reveals his true self when he's out in the water. And we discuss his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. I like your ocean background, by the way, on our Zoom call here. It's inspiring. Since I was just on vacation, it's nice to... <laughs> feels like I'm back a little bit, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I love the background. It's uh, yeah, Narragansett Bay in Rhode Island is where I grew up, and uh, enjoyed fishing, swimming, sailing, and uh, it's one of the more peaceful state parks that I like to go to from here when it's when it's weekend time. So, yes, so it's good as a as a nice uh, mental health reminder of what makes you most comfortable when you're on these calls. Huh? I started a uh, I started a meeting just yesterday actually with one of my engineers, and he had a, a video of the. Of a, of a sandy beach with the gentle waters lapping against it. So it was actually motion behind it. Oh, <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I've seen that yet on some of these calls. And we've certainly done enough over the last year and a half, but usually it's a still image like you have. Yeah. Or a boring no, background like I have. Now that I say that, he, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the background so much as it was when he was sharing his screen before he started. It was like just to set the mode. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh that's cool. nice. <laughs> nice. I like it. That's good. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for doing this today. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day from Amphenol Alden in Brockton, Massachusetts. So Gordon, as the director of marketing and, and product development there, I know it's probably self-explanatory, but tell us a little bit about your role and what you do on a, on a normal basis there. Yeah, it's a great question and not as easy to answer as you might imagine. Uh, the role here is not as much the traditional Marcom role that you might might imagine. We do manage the website and the promotional things and the LinkedIn posts as part of my team's responsibility, but that's a very small part of what we do. Uh, a lot of our focus is on that uh, winning the business, generating the pipeline and uh, driving uh, success through our sales team to our customers. So. So my team is involved with the uh, pricing and, and quoting and, and concept development in conjunction with our engineers and our sales team so that we can put together a winning proposition that then goes to the customers. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of what we do. Um, in addition, my team is responsible for driving standard product development, which is really the hook, if you will, for us getting new custom business, which is what most of our business is, is custom. Right. So we have some standard products. We have a nice offering. It's developing and it's growing. But most of our revenue is generated from custom assemblies, either you know, things that are build dependent old, but more importantly, things that are new and up and coming. So my group uh, works with the sales team and the customers to create those winning propositions that uh, help us get those first POs. It's in essence as much product management really as it is marketing in a sense, right? Yeah, there's a bit of that. Yeah. Um, in the traditional sense of product management, you know, you would have somebody looking at a portfolio of products, looking at their 
their their uh, revenue and margin and profitability and issues and cost reductions and things like that. And our product lines per se are not big and broad like a lot of the amphenol divisions have. Right. So we have we have some and we're looking to grow them. And that is a, a, an emerging part of our responsibilities, uh, branding those and getting those marketed, if you will. Um, but it's it's more about uh almost uh, customer expectations. So in our sales cycle, we really think of ourselves as an extension of our customer's design engineering team. Mm. And so our sales team makes that contact, they make the connection with, with an engineer at a medical device OEM, for example. And uh, then they would bring our team in to help with the initial question and answer session to help understand what's driving the need. And that helps us on two fronts. One, to give a proposal to this specific customer, but it also really helps us to think, I've heard this in several other places now. Is there a standard product? Is there a capability that we can develop within Amphenol Alden that can serve a broader group of customers than just the one I'm visiting now? So it's a really interesting opportunity to, to learn what's coming up in the, in the world of medical electronics and medical devices. Right. And you segued perfectly for me then because I was going to ask you now just to, to tell people. We've had people from Alden before, like your GM, Victor. Um, sure. But just tell us a little bit about Amphenol Alden and what you specialize in. And, you know, you, you play in the medical market, but just a little bit about the product portfolio and where you really like to focus your time and efforts. Yeah, we are over 90% medical devices. Our, our factories are all FDA registered. We're 1345 certified, which is the medical version of an ISO standard for, for quality systems. And our focus is almost exclusively now medical. When we were acquired by Amphenol in 2006, uh, they were looking for more uh, of a footprint in, med in medical. We had a great product to help them along in that area. And we stayed focused on that, particularly as part of Amphenol, where, where Amphenol globally is so entrenched in other markets. Right. We said, this is where we're going to grow. So we, we really put our, our lens set into the medical space. And, uh, and our, our capability, if you will, is to bring products to bear that are unique and different and, and um, match the needs of the medical environment. For example, you wouldn't want a, a 3899 on the front of, a, of an infant patient monitoring device, right? I mean, it just doesn't fit. Right. You want it to have that aesthetic look. You want it to have that, that comforting appeal. Ergonomics are so important. The human factor side of what we build and how they're going to use the product day in and day out are so critical. And then, of course, you bring the quality aspect, which is true in almost every market Amphenol serves. But in medical, you really have that, that life-saving piece of it or that life-improving part of it that, that lends itself to the urge to really make this right and make it work uh, for the customer and ultimately for the patient at the end of the customer's um, uh, supply or, uh, or, or their market line, if you will. It's actually fascinating. Now that you say that, I never really thought of it that way. But when you talk about medical products that that you guys make, you, you design and build, and you know, being in hospitals, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, depending on the circumstances, how that that aesthetic, that look and feel of what a a connector or cable should actually look like to the patient and to the medical staff is as important as anything because to your point yeah i mean a 38.9 you know od cad connector first of all is probably overkill number one <laughs> second of all um does isn't exactly appealing to the senses when you're in that type of an environment i never really thought about that that way but that's a pretty fascinating way or or aspect of your product design that 
that you have to keep in mind as you work with your team and your engineers to to design new products. I've never really thought about that before, but very interesting. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting dimension. And when you can talk the language of your customers, see our customers are getting more and more focused on the user experience as well. And when we can come into the sales call in the beginning, already speaking that language and not just opening a catalog of product and going, which one would you like today? Yeah, uh, They really appreciate that. They understand that we know what their customers' needs are. And that really helps us develop that trust and that early on relationship that's so vital as you go through the development process. What are some of the new products that you and the team are developing now that you're most excited about over the next couple of years? Yeah, one of our philosophies has always been to try to push the envelope, to try to do things that aren't already done so uh, and, and so prevalent in the market. You know, in our in our world, we're we're not desiring to compete on price. We are competitive, don't get me wrong, but but it's not our first lead in to say we can do this cheaper, but the overall value is definitely better for the customer. Right. And uh, so we're pretty excited about some of the areas that we're, we're really focused on now, one of which is in the uh, surgical space. Um, and you can understand in the surgical space that there are um, concerns in the OR about infection control, for example. Mm-hmm. And some of the cable assemblies and, and, and devices that are used there have to be sterilized. And that's, a, that's an aggressive process where they endure um, a high temperature, high heat and vacuumization to, to clean things out and basically kill every bug that's in there. And it's very aggressive on cables and connectors as a whole. And we're developing capabilities to, to build customized um, cable assemblies that can endure more of those. Mm. So while the, the end device may be a little bit more expensive, if you get more life out of it, then the overall product cost for the customer is lower. And that helps them to get their product launched because they have to answer not only to the the surgeon who's going to use the tool, but also to the healthcare industry who's going to help reimburse the patient for getting that procedure done. So if they can show an overall cost reduction in the innovation they're bringing to market, we can help with that. But on the flip side, if you're not going to sterilize, the other option is to use it once and dispose of it. Right. So we're also developing the capabilities to do uh, much more in the uh, single use environment, which would be super high volume, very low cost, um, but competitive and, and not losing sight of the fact that it has to be easy to use and it has to function correctly the first time. So, uh, so and, and every time really, but for disposables, it might be 10 times, right? Yeah. So it's really understanding how do we meet the world of the surgical space with either a very robust solution that can endure these aggressive sterilization cycles and, uh, or how can we meet the needs of the environment so that we're creating a product that can be disposed of and, and at a fairly cost-effective pace, again, so that the healthcare industry, uh, the insurance industry, if you will, can reimburse for, for the use of it. So that's one area. Another area that we're pretty excited about is getting into the higher pin count applications. Mm-hmm. They still have to be used by, you know, let's say a small person with a small hand at the, at the uh, operating room in that environment. It, you might be holding 200 contacts in the, in the palm of your hand. And it, again, it can't be a big lunky connector that's super heavy and it's gotta be very ergonomic, but you gotta pack a lot of parts into a small space. Mm-hmm. And uh, so these are areas that we're, we're creating capabilities now in terms of how to terminate wires that are 46, 48 gauge, um, how to put a lot of those into a single connector solution that can be easily connected and disconnected, that can be sterilized or, or wiped down. So that's another new area where we're, again, pushing that envelope and trying to do things that aren't done by everybody in the market so that we can have a, a, a good, solid growth path before it becomes um, commoditized. 
No, that's that's excellent and, and glad to hear as well. Can you talk a little bit about the industry quality standards and expectations? Because, you know, not to overuse the word literally, but you're talking about products that literally could be the difference between life and death. So how does that factor in, I think, just in an everyday work environment from an engineering standpoint, and then just for you personally, as you talk through this with customers and the market in general? Sure. You know, from a regulation standpoint, obviously there's the FDA. And um, as finished devices are, are brought to market, the FDA has to approve their use. And uh, we are listed and registered on the FDA's website for some of the components that we actually sell to OEMs. Mm-hmm. So we have to answer to them. And we also have to be responsible to um, to comply with ISO 1345, which is the operating standard. It's, it's, a, it's a step above, say, ISO 9001, and it brings into play a lot of um, risk mitigation procedures. So things that um, you might think are, are intuitive in a normal operating situation, if you're at 1345, you have to do a whole lot more in terms of gauge R&R and qualifying measurement methods and techniques and equipment and so forth. So there's a lot of that, that that goes into the standards. And um, so so there's a real focus on quality. And I'll tell you, one of the things that's been exciting about Amphenol Alden is that we bring our customers in for audits all the time. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we do extremely well. Our procedures have been put in place for a good while. Credit to folks like Julie Hoban when she worked here. She really built up a quality system and, and a discipline that has helped us in our audits. Uh, and, and we've maintained that since she's um, been promoted in her role at AIPG. So customers bringing them in for an audit is not a scary thing. It's a wonderful thing because we know that really helps set the hook, especially for new customers. And there's rarely a finding uh, and st- occasionally a, a recommendation for improvement. But that's a real selling point for us on the on the executable side. But from an employee standpoint, it's even more important because we try to reinforce and get engagement from everybody to understand, as you just said, this could be you or a loved one on the table uh, in in a hospital setting. And you want to make sure that this works correctly, that it works as it's intended to work. And um, and that it's that it's that it's uh, something that you're taking part in. Every part that you ship out the door can have an impact to either save a life or improve a life. And that kind of employee engagement and understanding that there's something uh, you know, bigger than all of, than the, than the monthly nut is just so helpful, you know, in, in retention. And we have very low turnover. People are enthusiastic about what we do here. And I find what I've interviewed a lot of the younger generation too, these are the kinds of things that they're looking for. Is yeah. this something that's going to improve people's lives? How is it going to improve the environment or, or, or things that they care about these days? So being a part of that, even though we're not the medical device company, we're we're a part of that. So uh, if our part doesn't work, then theirs does, and then somebody could have a terrible outcome in their procedure. So it's very engaging. So let me come back to this in a little bit. We'll go backwards, though. You mentioned that you were, uh, I think, or were you born and raised in Narragansett, Rhode Island? No, no, uh, I did uh, move around a little bit as a, as a youngster. Yeah. Uh, actually, when I was in elementary school, I lived in Wallingford, Connecticut, oh. uh, a place we, we know and love, but um, moved to Rhode Island in, in sixth grade. Yeah. And so uh, I consider Rhode Island, you know, where, where my roots are. My parents always lived there since then. Yeah. Uh, once I got out of school, I moved to Massachusetts. But, but Rhode Island is, is the place where I kind of, my formative years where I grew up and and enjoyed the Narragansett Bay and, and fishing and sailing and swimming and that. Yeah, the only, th- I, I don't know much about Narragansett other than their beer. 
um, you know, <laughs> the lager. Yeah. Maybe that's not saying something. We learned a bit about that. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great classic looking cans, the old 16 ounces. But you said you were into fishing and sailing. Is it still something you do to this day? It's interesting. Sailing was one of those things that um, uh, my dad and I did. He he connected us with a small yacht club in Saunders Town, and and it's funny when I talk about yachts to people who aren't boat people, they think of these great big huge yeah. things and you know martinis on the fore deck and that. Um, no, these are like little fifteen foot sailboats we had. This you know we were very middle class people and yeah. and uh, nothing wealthy about it. Um, but you're down on the water. You, it's you and your dad and, and you're on the water and, and racing on a sailboat is exciting because, and the most exciting part really is that competition at the starting line. Because if, if you can imagine a, an imaginary line between a buoy and a, and a boat and uh, you're watching and listening for the starting gun and, 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 and you've got maybe 10 other sailors out there in this same space. Right. And there's certain rules you can't, you can't violate the rules. There's wind that could increase or decrease as waves, there's tide, there's so many things to imagine. And the goal is to hit the line at the gun. Right, right, right. If you're too, if you're too fast, you're over the line, you've got to circle back around and cross. You're already behind, you know, and if you're, if you're too conservative, then you're already behind just by nature of being conservative. So really, really intense time at the start. But, you know, I've, I've used this uh, phrase a lot with my team today. Starting is important, but but finishing is everything, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I look at some of the projects we have in our pipeline today and the and the analogy is, is is really there. It's like great start. We're halfway through, but it's been three years. What happened? Why is this languishing? Right. You know, right. Happy right. you started, but it's more about how you finish than, than how you start. So you could have a crappy start and still make it up in, in the legs and, and, and finish the race. But that's one of the things I really enjoyed growing up on the on the bay there in Rhode Island was, was sailing in the summer with my with my dad and racing in particular. Now, after uh, going to college in Pennsylvania, I married uh, my bride who I met there. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, also not far from me now, she was from Norwich, New York. Oh, yeah. Twenty minutes so, down the road. Yeah, just just up the river from you guys, and and of course, being from there, she wasn't really about sailing. Yeah, probably more canoeing and kayaking on the river. Exactly. Yeah, if we got on the water at all, and I did take her out early on in our dating, and she was not happy with the water splashing on her face, and you know, I told her to reach over the bow and grab the buoy, and she was like, "Do what?" Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, not a sailor to, to say the least. And so uh, as we as we moved in Massachusetts and, and, and raised our family, it wasn't something I had time to do until uh, maybe about 10 or 15 years ago. I did buy a boat that I can trailer over to the bay and pop in and get out on the bay a few times a year. And that scratches the itch. So and, and it's funny when I have taken my wife out lately and she looks at me and goes, oh. I see a hugely different Gordon when you're on the water than when you come home from a day at work. <laughs> How so? How, is, how are you different when you're sailing? Uh, there's something about getting out there and being in the zone of, of maximizing every piece of wind that you can to, mm-hmm. to go from point A to point B. And and uh, and it's just extremely relaxing. It's a different kind of tension that 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 drains away all the all the uh, responsibilities that the world brings on you. So it's a really peaceful time for me. Yeah, I. I've only done it a few times. I actually, I grew up in Long Island and I actually went to sailing camp as a kid one time. Like you, you know, just a middle-class kid, but somehow my parents found this thing and I went out to, way out east to Shelter Island and went to sailing camp and a little Boston whaler, probably no bigger than what you're talking about. And we learned to sail for a week. It was fascinating. I just never had a chance to do much of it after the fact. 
my brother does a little bit on a lake in Vermont, and that's kind of fun. But you're right; it's you have to use. You, you know, it's it's this whole it's this whole intuition. You know, there's nothing about just sticking a motor in a water and going. Yeah, right. Um, it's right. it's much more involved and in, in sensory than that. Um, it yeah. is fascinating. You can, you're kind of getting me excited now. I want to go and do this now. Again. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a lot of fun. <laughs> so you grew up basically in in Rhode Island. You sent you said you went yeah. to college in Pennsylvania and you were in, majored in engineering, right? Mechanical engineering. Yeah, yeah. I went to Bucknell University in, in the middle of, of, of Pennsylvania. Lewisburg. And, uh, yeah. Lewisburg, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I know it because I have relatives that live near there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I chose that. I mean, my my sister, my older sister had gone out to Allegheny College, in, in which is where my mom went, actually. Uh, and on the way out there to see her, we stopped at colleges to look at for me. I love the campus. And at that time, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other sort of career path I had in my mind, of course, you're in high school. What do you really know, right? Yeah, but know. Uh, the other career path I had was actually uh, going into law. I mean, I thought that I had some great courses in high school that intrigued me about law and constitutional court cases and things like this. So I was kind of torn between the two, which are really, you know, different different tasks. But um, having grown up taking apart cars and things like that uh, with my dad, um, and, and with his insight, he said, well, this is a, a great career direction in engineering. Try it. And, and Bucknell had a great engineering program, but also a very good business program. Uh, so I, I knew that if I didn't like engineering as a discipline, I could transfer into something else and still stay at the college. So it's essentially how I, how I wound up there. And, and I did stay with it, obviously. It's amazing how many people I've talked to a lot of engineers uh, on this podcast, and it's amazing how many of them it started with. Yeah, I used to work on cars with my dad. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. It's a, it's almost yeah. like a prerequisite for getting in an engineering program, I think. It's, it should be on the questionnaire. Did you work on cars as a kid with your dad? Yes right. or no? Yes. Okay, you're in. Yeah. And why didn't you become an engineer then? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So that's, I guess, the next question. So you didn't. Did you do anything directly with engineering once you got out? I mean, did you do an engineering role or did you, how did you get into the, you know, the marketing and the business development side of it with an engineering degree? Well, it didn't take me long to figure out that this, this discipline wasn't um, stimulating to me. I mean, I could do the math and I, you know, understood the physics and I could manage to do okay in, in school, but um I really felt more like I was a people person, something that I wanted to do more of. And actually, one of my summer jobs, I did it two summers in college, was I was a door-to-door salesman selling books. And, and, and can you imagine, you know, doing that these days? You know, I really couldn't even do it. But but um, but so so selling books taught me a lot about the sales process, you know, how to motivate yourself when you're just getting rejected all the time. And and uh, how to stay focused. And, and I realized it would be a great combination to have a technical acumen uh, and some sales skills. So, so as soon as I got out, I wasn't really looking for an engineering position. I was looking for a position in a sales or marketing role. And my first, my first job out of school was, was an applications engineer for a connector company. Okay. So, so that probably answers your next question. Why connectors, right? And you yeah. know, I've heard several of your guests talk about, you know, when they were five, they said, no, dad, I don't want to be a fireman. I want to be a connector guy. And then when they were 10, <laughs> no, forget that policeman thing. I want connectors. Yeah. None of us have that, right? It I mean, happens all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> sure. 
So, uh, so that's how I got into connectors. My first job was with a company called Augat in uh, in Attleboro, and they, they made IC sockets and switches and terminal blocks and things. And so I started in applications engineering, and then within a year moved into a regional sales position. And and so that's sort of the beginnings of sales and engineering and, and connectors for me. And then when did you get to Alden? How did you find them, or did they find you, or how'd that happen? No, actually, um, after about six years at, at Augat. Um, I, I, I knew there was more, I wanted to get more experience and, um, there was an ad in the paper back then it was the paper yeah. and, uh, and they were looking at Alden products was looking for a marketing manager. And I thought, Oh, that'd be great. Learn marketing. I've done sales, you know, and then I can work my way into the, up the business chain from there. Now, Alden was a small niche company that really focused almost exclusively on high voltage products. Um, and come to find out what they really needed was another good salesperson, but they probably didn't know that when they were recruiting. <laughs> so it, the, the role, while it was marketing and I put together a catalog and learned some things that I hadn't done before, um, what they really needed was somebody to go out and sell. And uh, so I continued to do that and develop business. So selling and business development was sort of the skills that I started to, to hone when I went to Alden Products for the first time. And was this pre-acquisition? Oh yes, this is yeah. well before. So, so I gave eight years to Alden Products, to, and and uh, and then I left there and went to another company for six years, and then came back to Alden, which was three years prior to our acquisition. So, you were like many that I've talked to, in that you were, you you know what the business was like before they were acquired by Amphenol and after they were acquired by Amphenol. Just yeah. in general, what's been the big difference for you having been through both? Amphenol delivers on the promise um, to when they do their acquisitions. And what they're looking for is they're looking for a good management team, uh, a company that's got promise and growth. And what they offer in return is that they're not going to centralize you and dismiss everybody, but they're going to bring to you a smorgasbord of additional tool sets. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so when we were acquired by Amphenol, we were able to look at the tool sets and say, all right, how are we going to take Alden now that we're part of a big organization and leverage it? So now I'm conversations with, with sales team in Germany and France, which I you know, wouldn't have access to before. I, I actually tried hiring into, into manufacturers reps in Europe and it was you know, really pretty unproductive for us. Um, so now I've got a direct sales team. I can go and train them and teach them about what we, what we do. We need a factory in China. Now we have several, to, you know, which we can kind of get onto their um, their uh, skirts tails. Their, their shirt, what is it? The coattails. That's what I'm looking for. And, and you know, share some costs and, and not have to put a greenfield that process, right? So, so do we need that? Do I need a sales team in Asia? Now we have a lot of reach that we didn't have before on the on the biz dev side, and then on the product side, it's like, now I've got all this technology that I can tap into. Can I use a rad sock in these things? Does that help? Can I use a, a, a CSAC contact from Intercon? How does that help? Is there other technologies that we can bring in to, to advance our, our, our cause? And so it, it, it is exactly how Amphenol presents themselves to owners, and they've delivered 100% on the promise, at least as far as my perspective goes. It's been trans, uh, transformational. And the only real difference in our, in our execution, of course, was on the financial side, as you're a private company and, and uh, you know, you're happy with the profit and the cash flow and things are okay, and the numbers may be adding up a little bit differently. You have to make that. You have to make that adjustment to understand well what does true gross margin really mean and what yeah. is true 
more or less really mean. And, and, uh, and then that monthly discipline that they instill. And uh, we started out under Luke Walter and, and his, his ability to read the tea leaves in the financial pages was astounding to, to me. And, and, you know, you, you think you've got the perfect ops package and he goes to page seven and says, now this line here, what's that about? And he already knows the answer, right? Yeah. Cause he's done this a lot and we're going all scratching our heads going, well, we'll look into that. <laughs> So this, that, that's the biggest change is that fiscal responsibility, that financial change that, that in the reporting and accountability to be a public company. Um, and that's a good thing. That's a good change that take place. So, so it's all been positive. No, you, you echo the sentiments of, of many others, but uh, I always like to hear the individual perspective of those that have been there before and then after. So we'll, we'll, Stop with the the work for just a second, and uh, you know, as we get towards the end here, get to the personal side. So, as as you aren't working, and uh, maybe you're not out on the the bay sailing either, what else do you like to do with you and your family in your free time? Well, yes, yeah, certainly being on the bay is great. But that's only a summer sport, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know there are there are winter activities that we certainly enjoy, and, and I do particularly. Um, but I don't get to do it a lot. Skiing, for example, is one that I'll try to do a couple times a year mm-hmm. uh, and get out. But but we're, we're very active in the community. We're we're busy in our local church. We uh, you know both my wife and I have leadership positions there. Um, I've got a, a small house up on a lake in New Hampshire that we rent. So it's you know keeping that maintained and ready for the next guest and that sort of thing keeps me busy. Uh, that it's not work-related kind of stuff, um, but but mostly it's 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 really um, traveling. And now that my, my kids and, and we raised five of them, so that kept us pretty busy. Uh, now that the youngest has just uh, moved into an apartment, you know, my wife and I are thinking about things like visiting national parks and love to go do that and do some hiking yeah. in the air and uh, see what this great nation has to offer. So the so traveling is is uh, something we enjoy when when we're able to to get out and do it. So. So if I sent, uh, if I had the powers to send you just by yourself to a desert island, right? Um, or we'll just say an island off of uh, Narragansett Bay. <laughs> um, and I said to you, Gordon, you can bring with you, um, along with the sailboat, you can bring with you um, one album, one book, and one movie. We'll start with the album. What would you bring with you? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I do enjoy a lot of different kinds of music in my early years. Uh, early years, uh, my dad didn't even let me listen to music because it was like, you know, always time, so go outside and play. Um, <laughs> but, but when I got to college, that all changed, of course, you know. And, uh, you know, some of the music that I gravitated toward back then were things, you know, in the Southern rock genre, you know, the Almond Brothers or Little Feet or or maybe some Skinner. So, so that would be maybe, you know, one of my favorites. But then I evolved a little bit into some some of the more jazz pianist type stuff, Herbie Hancock or Chick Berea, or, or maybe some of the more uh, Latino uh, Carlos Santana type stuff. Those were kind of my my tastes back in the day. So I'd probably grab one of those just just for for reminiscing and, and because they're 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 uh, they, they reach the soul and they're enjoyable. How about we'll say Herbie Hancock? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Watermelon Man or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, how about a book? Book? Well, so depending on the scenario, but but you know, if you're going to be on a desert island with with nobody around, um, and you can only sail so long, let's say you can't sail back to shore, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, assuming we're going to have some time for inner reflection, and uh, maybe there's a chance you're not going to get off the island, I would want to bring a book 
that points me into the greater questions of life. Why are we here? How do we get here? And where are we going from here? Why is it so many people believe there's life after? And if there is life after, what do you do with that? Yeah. You know, are you are you in good shape to, to go? One of my one of my life's goals, oddly enough, is is when I breathe my last breath, I wanna I wanna pass peacefully. Mm-hmm. I wanna know for sure that I'm going where I'm going and I'm in good stead with my creator or you know, if there's no creator in your world, whatever, you know, whatever your beliefs are, that you're at peace with that, that you've, you've determined for sure when I'm gone, I'm gone, there's nothing there. Yeah. So that when you pass, you can pass with peace. So I'd probably bring my Bible. I would yeah. want to spend some time there. And, and uh, because that's not a, not a book you can understand with head knowledge, you have to really understand it with the spirit man. So, so that's one I would probably bring, you know, first and foremost, is to really have that time of reflection and inner reflection and, and, and understand maybe you know, to a greater depth than, than, than I do now for sure. Well, you went deep there. I like that. <laughs> well, then, you know, if you go to Amazon, there's over a hundred thousand titles that say leadership and there's some phenomenal books out there on leadership. And, yeah. and I've read some of them nowhere near that by any means. And those are very uh, helpful and you've got to continue to sharpen the saw while, while you're on this earth. Sure. But, but what happens after that, right? So, so is there more? And, and those are things that in today's society, we tend to either ignore as they don't exist and maybe they don't, uh, or, or we, we, um, or, or we, you know, some people go over the top and it's like all they think about and then they're no earthly good. Right. So, so finding that balance there. So, yeah, I guess I went deep, but maybe that's, that's, no, that's part good. of it. No, that's what this is about. That's great. So yeah. finally, how about a movie? That's a great question. I, the, the movie that, that, sort of struck me most years and years ago was the sting. And of course oh, I got the yeah. great time piano music yeah. in there. And, and uh, that's one that for me personally, was very entertaining. But if I'm sitting on a desert Island, I'd probably bring a movie like uh, sound and music or, or singing in the rain, because those are the movies that we, we raised our kids on. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that we always find them singing, you know, the songs from that when they're doing the dishes in the kitchen or whatever growing up. And, and we still have fond memories of looking at that. So just to keep that family focus in, I'd probably bring a, an album or a, or, a, or a movie like that. Boy, you can't go wrong with any of those, actually. I mean, <laughs> Sound of Music is a classic. Um, singing in the Rain is, you know, one of the great, if not the greatest musical ever. The Sting is a lot of fun, too. I mean, especially if you're a Robert Shaw fan or a Jaws fan or you know, love right. Paul Newman like I do. And it's exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's great. So three excellent choices. And uh, I could see that you would certainly be fulfilled if you were by yourself, at least for a little while, until you get that sailboat <laughs> working and then get That's back right. to shore with the family. So, well, listen, Gordon, I appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Very informative. And uh We went a little deep, which I like a lot. That's good. So (laughs) thanks again for doing this. You bet. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to chat with you and, and to get to know a little bit about you as well, Chris. I appreciate the work you're doing there. Keep it up. 